This is Recovery Revolution Live. The episode you're about to listen to is live and unedited. If you'd like to join us on the live stream, you can find us on Facebook and YouTube. Facebook.com slash Recovery Revolution 100 or search Recovery Revolution Live on YouTube. All right, what is going on, everybody? I am Brett, and we are here with another episode of Recovery Revolution Live, and we got a full house tonight. We got Miss Ashley Grimes, AG, in the house. How are you doing, Ashley? Good. How's everybody else doing? We got Miss Amanda in the house as well. What's going on, Amanda? How are you? Good. How is everybody doing? Doing great. And last but certainly not least, Mr. Jason Rudin. What's going on, Jason? What's up, guys? Happy to be here. Glad to have you on. Welcome, mm-hmm. everybody. And we have tonight's guest, Travis. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Absolutely glad to have you on the show tonight. And we will jump on into the episode. How's everybody's Thursday going? It's almost over. <laughs> G-I-T. Hey, Crystal. What's going hey, on, Crystal? Crystal? First time watching. Well, you picked a good one. Look at look at Jason's shirt. He's repping Brett's podcast over there. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be my thing. I'm going to try to wear recovery-related clothing every time. I got a lot of it, and I I keep buying more. I have a problem. (laughs) There's worse problems you can have. Yeah, for sure. But, yeah, you asked, Brett, how Thursday went. Thursday was good, but I I got some bad news, and I wish I could speak about it, but I'm really not at liberty to discuss it, especially in this, you know, open-air format for everybody to see it here. It's not my... uh, business to share that out first before anybody else but some really shitty news today so i'm glad i'm here with y'all you guys are gonna lift my spirits we're gonna try no you don't have to try ashley <laughs> travis how was your thursday man it's Typical Thursday, not too bad. I uh, got to do lunch with my wife, so that was cool. And yeah, just basically was looking forward to being on the show tonight. We're excited. It's been like, how long have you been signed up for? Three, four months? Yeah, it's it's been a it's been a minute for sure. So definitely, definitely excited. Yeah, let's get right into it. Do you want to go ahead and, you know, tell a little sure. bit? Sure. Yeah. So my name's Travis Sackett. Um, I've been in recovery since October of 2013. I'm also the author of My Life with Karma. Um, it's a recovery memoir and basically the story of my life. So I'm pretty excited. That became a bestseller on Easter Sunday, and I've sold over 2,000 copies so far. That's amazing, dude. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. I got to buy one. I'm not even going to lie because you sent me uh, the PDF version. So that's okay. how that's how I read it. 
But gotcha. I definitely want to, yeah, tip tip of the cap to you, my friend, for being brave enough to share your story in that way, and uh, definitely want to show my support. But I kind of want I want to get it direct from you so that I can get a signed copy. Yeah, we'll get you set up with that for sure. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome, Jason. And I've read a lot of recovery books, and I'm just a reader in general, and your book is in my top three. Like, oh, wow. so, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, say what my top three are, but it's in the top three. And that's thank you for that. Rocks. That's huge. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's badass. That really is. <laughs> We've been like, she's been mentioned multiple times that JR has wanted Ashley to do like a recovery book club type thing. And at one point, like they were trying to get a certain amount of comments for her to like start it because she like literally knows all of the best like literature, like overall, like it's amazing. Like she, I don't know how she has time. Cause she's like the baddest ish I've like ever known. And she does like all these jobs. She's part of all these different things. She always shows up like always sweet, beautiful looking, you know, like she's had all this time and she's a mom. Oh, I just got out of the shower. My hair's wet. So oh, no. you can't tell you look like you she just has like great curly hair. You gotta love it. Yeah. See curly hair. Don't care. Right. I just got off a construction site. I work on a, you know, me and Jason have that in common. We're construction people. That's right. That's why yeah. I have tan lines where my safety glasses go. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I got some burn today. We're looking you at pink. pink. I that haven't been fun. able to read your book yet, and I'm bummed, but I want to. So I'll definitely be ordering one. I appreciate that. Very cool. Um, yeah, I can talk to you both. You can order directly through me. We'll get you set up. So yes, Perfect. yes. And well, I get then. mine signed too. Of course. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm all in then. <laughs> oh yeah. The thing I love about your book is it's a different perspective. I mean, everybody's story is their own story, and it's different. But um, you know, I'd like to hear you tell it in your words because you're a different type of guest than we've had in a long time, if ever. And your story has got so many different layers and it's relatable on so many different levels. So. Yeah, it's a, it actually makes it kind of difficult to fully break down um, just because like, like you said, it's got so many layers. Um, really what I aim for in telling my story was just full transparency. Like if it was something that hurt, if it was something that caused trauma, if it, was addiction related, I leaned into it and I went hard with it. Um, I basically just wanted to make sure I could relate to as many people that would read it as possible. And I figured there was no point to shy away. Like why, why be meek in these moments when I could potentially reach someone else and help them? So really, like I said, I just leaned into it and went with it. And that was the way I wrote the entire book. Well, and your occupation's different, you know, at, at the beginning than yeah. what yeah, that's people very guess true. are. So you want to tell a little bit about, you know, where sure. you started? 
Yeah, I can lean into that. Um, so I used to be a police officer. I work dignitary protection for the Wisconsin Capitol Police. And basically what that entailed was I had to protect the governor of Wisconsin and his family and then any visiting dignitaries to the state. Um, I did that for about two years. Um, loved most of my job. Like that was coming out of the police academy, that was my dream job. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted something in protection. Um, I grew up in a home where my father was abusive, verbally, physically, and I really wanted to be able to make sure other people were safe. Um, and I looked at that as with the governor, why not the head of the state, the one that is supposed to be such an important lawmaker, let's make sure he's safe and he can do his job or her, but he at the time. And yeah, just really, really loved what I did. And I know like, as your story, as you started telling it, it was, it was opiates and, you know, pain medicine that, you know, how did you start, you know, on your journey with, you know, active addiction and how did you find recovery? Yeah, so I was um, really big into powerlifting, too, while I was protecting the governor. Um, basically, if I wasn't at work, I was in the gym. Um, I qualified for Worlds in Las Vegas in, I believe, 2010. And I was so basically, I was just working out, trying to put on more mass, trying to gain more strength um, and really just get set for Worlds. Um, one day I was in the gym bent over just to get ready to do a deadlift and something popped in my lower back. I wasn't sure what was going on, but it felt more than just muscular. Like I, I could tell it was structural. Um, didn't think too much of it. Basically the next morning got up, tried to get out of bed, had back spasms, couldn't put on my shoes. And I was like, wow, okay, this is way worse than I thought it was. Um, I ended up going to a walk-in and basically they looked at me said okay yeah you're suffering from spasms um ooh, we got jeff vickers in the house look out anyway um you're suffering from spasms and you've got two herniated discs and basically we can even feel them protruding from your lower back so they gave me oxycontin a dotalac and something else um some kind of something for muscle relaxant too. Um, I don't remember, but I did okay with it off the line. Um, like the first 30 days actually helped. I was able to even get back in the gym and lift about 80% of what I was lifting. So in my mind, I was like, I'm still going to worlds. I'm still going to compete. Um, it wasn't until the next I, I got re-upped on the script and they actually gave me 90 days, which is unheard of now. But at the time, it really wasn't a big deal. It was like 2010, like I said, and they weren't nearly as strict with Oxy as they are today. So they gave me 90 days and that's when I ended up getting hooked. Um, it started with clock watching, just really struggling between the time that I took the first med to trying to wait to take the next one. Um, the duration wasn't lasting as long with the medication. I was starting to feel things. Oh, excuse me. Sorry about that. So I have two dogs too. Um, anyway. And yeah, it was just really rough. Um, so basically, I 
um, tried to fight through it, tried <laughs> other medication, and nothing, nothing worked. So it was basically oxy or bust. Really. Yeah, I can identify with that. The withdrawals are awful if you don't take Depends on if it was instant release or, you know. Hang on one second. I'm sorry about that. No, you're fine. Actually, to go off what you said, I like 100% agree. And it was crazy because the, like, I guess dealers that I had at the time, especially when like kind of took off, they had like fast acting and like the release. And it was crazy because the like the released one, like the lasting one was like, you did, you know, like you didn't get that like same high from it. So I like tried to avoid those. Like the only time that I wanted those is if like, I couldn't get anything else just to avoid the withdrawal. But the fast acting, like the regular, like Oxy, it was like my addiction went from like, I want to say like zero to a hundred, but it was like, it went from like zero to 50 over like an amount of like, I don't know, like six, five, six years. And then all of a sudden, as soon as I got with like Oxy, it went from like taking like four or five milligrams to snorting 300 milligrams at a time, multiple times a day within like a month month and a half, two months tops. Like, I mean, I mean tops. I mean, it was insane. But the more you use, you know, the more the withdrawal, the worse it gets, the more frequent you want to use. And back then, you know, 2010 is when I had my first C-section, which is when my addiction started. And like Travis said, you know, they, they were pretty, you know, flex about giving out you know, opiates then that was like before they like cracked down really. And like he said, you know, now it's unheard of. But when I had my C-section, they gave me a 60 day supply, which actually lasted the first time. But the second time I like ripped apart and had to, of my C-section, had to get another script and they gave me a 90 day prescription then. But even people then were like, what? Like 90 days, 60 days, like, holy crap, that, that's a lot. And, and it was a lot, you know, it was. And like I said, shortly after that, you know, it went to, it, it went bad quick, especially because of the withdrawals. Yeah. CJ's right. He said, you know, pharmaceuticals have such a hard withdrawal and detox. That's really rough. So yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And I mean, after a while, it's not about getting high. It's about not having withdrawals. It's really, you continue using because you don't want withdrawals. So Travis, you want to, you want to keep telling us? Yeah. Yeah. So so on top of that too, like being in law enforcement. So we had this thing called fit for duty. And basically you have to show up to work in a certain condition to be able to perform your, your task is really what it comes down to. And I was not fit for duty. The only way I could show up and actually perform my job was with the oxy. So that was another thing for me that kept driving me back to it because I was like, look, I have to work. I have to make a paycheck. I, at the time I had a wife, she had a horse, we had a house. So I had a mortgage. It was like, I didn't have the option of not working, Um, which really put me under the gun in the sense that 
it was basically even if I didn't want to take the drug, I still had to. Like there were there weren't other options. My only other option was eventually talking to a doctor and them telling me, "Look, you're going to have to have surgery." Is really the only thing that was going to correct my problem. Um, so from there, moving on, um, basically. I got cut off after that next 90 days um, and really struggled. Like I had no idea what I was gonna do um, in terms of once the script was not being given to me. Um, what I ended up doing was a guy that I worked out with at the gym, um, I turned to him. I knew that he was able to get steroids and potentially other, who knows what else. But basically one day I just had a very open conversation with him and said, look, I'm on this. I was on this med. I got kicked off. I need it. Can you get me anything? And he said, sure, it's probably going to be veterinarian grade, but it will get you by. So I ended up going from oxy to some vet grade. I don't even know what opioid based medicine that was basically non-coded, just horrible, like anything, but it was anything to, to try to get that fix, anything to try to be able to go to work, to be able to perform, to be able to live. I was just like, okay, if it's going to help me, I'll try it. So I remember going from oxys, I got up to like probably eight to 10 a day to the vet grade stuff just didn't cut it. And I was taking anywhere from like 14 to 16 pills and usually crushing them, snorting them. And then I take a couple orally and I get through maybe like two hours of my day and then I'd have to repeat. And that was just the way that I got by. And to be honest with you guys, I thought it was normal. I was like, look, I, I didn't really see the issue with it. I What I saw was, me just struggling and trying to get through it and not really having an avenue where I could talk to someone else, not really being in a position where I felt like I could share with anyone and just isolating and using. And that's that was what I did for about six months. Um, over that time period too, I actually began stealing to support my habit. So here I was working in law enforcement and then also stealing to support a drug habit. Um, absolutely insane. Yeah. I think we all do things, you know, that we wouldn't normally do in active addiction. And, you know, we've all done stuff that we're not proud of. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think pretty much anyone who's struggled with addiction can say that. Like looking back, there's so many things. And like I said, I put them in the book. Like I just, whatever it was that I felt I needed to tell other people, I made sure they heard it. And that's basically why I'm here today too, just to share my story, to be transparent and let people know too that addiction does not discriminate. Like I said, I was in law enforcement. I never thought I would get caught up. Like, and mm -hmm before I knew it, I was so deep in it that I couldn't turn to anyone I was working with. I, I basically was lost. So what, what do you think saved you? Um, honestly, at first it was karma. So in the height of my addiction, I rescued a dog and I ended up naming her karma. Um, 
essentially she was tied to a tree at a drug house and my dealer gave me a call one weekend because he knew I liked dogs and just said, Hey man, I don't know if it's a boxer, a pity, what kind of dog it is, but it's been chained up to this tree for about two weeks. Um, the owners don't seem to give a shit about it. Like, and he said, if you want to go check it out, they'll probably just give it to you. Like, and I was like, all right, I'm not sure I necessarily want to take on a dog. I mean, I could barely even manage my own life at the time, but I went out to this house and saw sure shit the dog was chained to a tree there was a food bowl but no food in it like no water dish anything like that so i ended up going knocking on the door and no one answered but someone like kind of peeked through the blinds and i was like all right so someone's here and i just told them look i'm here i'm interested in your dog and basically nothing so I went back to the car, I was gonna leave, and I figured if I leave this dog, she's not gonna make it. There's no way that she is gonna have a chance. So instead of going home, I went to a hardware store, got a bolt cutter and came back, ended up cutting her chain and through some careful negotiation, um, took her with me. So that's how I got karma. And then she just became my ride or die, um, basically, when I was having cravings, instead of picking up, I used to take her for long, long walks. Um, like I said, she was a boxer. She had a ton of energy. So we would knock out two, three miles easy. And I would just tell on myself, I would be like, look, this is what I'm craving tonight. Like, this is what I'm stuck on. And basically have these conversations with her. And even though she didn't talk back, it gave me a chance to kind of think it out and sound it out and push pause so i wasn't immediately picking up calling a dealer i was just i was thinking of something outside myself and that's really like what got me on the initial path to recovery was her presence and just spending time with her and watching her recover even though i was on a backslide all of a sudden like this this dog is becoming this wonderful companion just this awesome animal and I wanted to treat her with the best life I could. Hell yeah, dude. You know, I think I loved when you said a little bit ago when you were talking about how, like, you can go from, like, you know, I'm I'm doing this, this narcotic, you know, because it's prescribed. And, you know, you would have never did it probably before that. And then you literally got to the point where you're like i will do anything i'll try anything you know and yeah. then and then it get and then it's like i will do anything to get more you know and it's just crazy how how that happens you know what well, how how we just change so drastically as a result of this shit you know the dependence that it lays on us it's crazy to me and now you have a dog that's dependent on you. Yeah. It's just like, man, that's a lot. Well, the thing that I heard when I was listening is you're telling the dog, like you, you said, you're telling on yourself, but yeah. the dog never judged you. You could tell the dog whatever you wanted and that dog was going to love you because you, you, you know, you saved her. You, 
you fed her, you were taking her on locks, you, you know, you're giving her love and attention. So it was kind of like you, it was acceptance. So you could be yourself and you didn't have to hide. And I feel like a lot of times that's when we start to recover is when we don't have to hide from the shame and the secrets. Oh, and Ashley, you hit it right on the head because too, there was so much shame and guilt. Like it took me, and that's part of the reason why it took me until 2021 to publish my story because I still felt that inside. Like I would look at the things that I did and the, the morally, I guess, things that I was morally opposed to that while in active addiction, I was like Jason said, I was all in. I was like, okay, I'll try this or I'll do this. Like, I mean, me working as a law enforcement officer and then stealing, it just didn't, it didn't make sense, but it was a means to an end. And the only kind of way that I saw I was going to be able to get through it. So I don't know. Um, Overall, I think whenever it comes down to addiction too, our brain chemistry gets so hijacked. Like we get so used to the chemicals and what they do for us. And all of a sudden too, we get addicted to not having physical pain, at least in my case, to not feeling and to being able to be like, okay, I can perform was for me, it was nothing short of a miracle. It was like, all right. And that's the way I looked at the medication at first until I developed that relationship with it and realized how much it was taking from me. Like I never thought about it until all of a sudden I was so deep in it. I'm like, this is literally taking everything from me. This is taking my morals. This is taking my career. It's taking the relationship with my wife. Um, and the only thing that it didn't take to be real with you was karma. And I was fortunate enough to have her through through it all. Um, so eventually what I ended up doing was one day after all sorts of legal problems and basically just my career falling apart, I got arrested at work, um, taken and booked in the same jail that hmm. I had been an officer in the, the same county, same community. So it was it was horrible. Um, so once I was booked and released, I decided one weekend I was just going to detox myself. I was mm -hmm. like, look, I'm going to roll the dice on this. I don't want to feel this way anymore. And I would not recommend doing what I did, but I did it because I really, at that point in time, I was like, I don't care if I survive this or not, but I want to at least try. I need to do something because the course I was on. I'm like, there's, I'm, I can't sustain this. There is no way. And obviously like things fell apart. So it was just a matter of really, I set myself up in a bathroom, got Pedialyte, got water bottles and some, I think protein bars and was like, all right, I'll get through this. And it was the worst three to four days of my life, but I made it through. And once I got through that, I was like, look, there's no turning back now. I don't want to experience what I just went through again. And I don't want to pick up again because of that. Right. You had that illusion of control that you were just talking about a little bit ago. And I thought that was really a uh, super important piece to, to kind of lift out. Cause you know how, 
it's like the drugs at first they work in in this amazing, incredible way. Right. And it's like our solution. It's freaking amazing. And then it stops doing that. And then it's just, it gets ugly. And by the time it did, you're already, you know, everything's crumbling around you and it takes that for you to even really accept what's happening you know there was probably lots of little signs red flags flying before that that should have told you you had a problem but you can't accept it until it's all gone to shit and you know and then too to your point you know when you detox you're you're blessed bro because a lot of people they'll make it through that few days or whatever they'll maybe make it a couple more weeks they'll their mind will start to you know have the fog clear and then we got a pretty quick forgetter, you know, it's yeah. easy to go back. It's real easy. It like a euphoric recall will suck your ass back in real quick. It seems like at least that was the way it was for me a lot. I withdrew myself and I'm telling you that's sometimes that's the one thing that's like kept me from going back is the fact I remember those withdrawals and those bats and the, you know, not being able to sleep, but being exhausted, the body aches, like, oh, that was, but the, the thing that, like, you know, that I also hear is, you know, you said that addiction stole everything from you, but it, it, it stole everything except karma, like, but for, like, what I can identify with is, you know, it numbed, like, I didn't care that I was in pain, I don't think it necessarily took the pain away, but it took the joy. It took like there, you know, it took the, the bad stuff, you know, the feelings, but it took the everything good too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It really, it kind of, to be real with you, it took the me out of me. Like all of a sudden I was a shell of myself still performing to some degree, still doing the things that I like to do to some degree, but nothing, there was no passion anymore. Um, it was all lost to the drug and basically, and to, I became a slave to, like I said, to clock watching, to when can I take my next dose to the point where I didn't care about the clock anymore. I was just like, okay, if I feel something, I'm going to numb out again. And that's when things got so scary because it was like, I was no longer even using things as not only as prescribed, but even in a manner that like my addict mind thought was acceptable, I got to the point where I'm like, man, I don't even know, but okay, this is what it's got to take. So I'll do it. And that was the scariest thing to me because I, it was almost like my decision-making was on autopilot. I was just mm -hmm. going with the flow, riding the wave mm -hmm. of the drug and not really thinking for myself, but just going with it and, making sure that I always had something in my body to help numb out. Dude, I can relate I to that. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, something you said before, and you said um, that for a while you were like, you were using and you like, didn't see anything wrong with it. Um, you know, like what's wrong with me doing this. And for so long, you know, it was like, if it's prescribed, then it's fine. If it's prescribed, it's fine. And for a while that worked. And then eventually, like, I know you were in law enforcement, but so like I put in the comments, my dad is a retired police officer. And so he was on, on the job um, during my addiction. 
And it was like constant shopliftings, constant shopliftings, like back and back, petty larceny. And obviously, you know, we all say like we weren't raised like that. Um, addiction, like you said, you know, it, it doesn't it does not pick and choose. I mean, it just takes anybody and everybody like you're not safe, you know, rich, poor doctor. I mean, homeless, like it, it does not matter. It will take anybody's soul that it can reach. And once those scripts starts and even sometimes without, you know, a doctor, it starts on the streets. But, you know, once I once I got like cut off because I had like been like neck problems, C-sections, all the things. It was literally like I was, I was, you know, yeah. And see on top of all my, all of my um, shopliftings and petty larceny, they were hitting me with five enhancements for each one because I had had so many. So when all of those like came together, I got to a point where I just started like looking around being like this, like, sucks this isn't normal you know how and i like would look out out at other people and be like how are people how are people like living without like using like i could never i could never see myself at that point um ever being sober like how am I, I could i didn't think i could get through one day without using and so i started driving to like my like hustle was stealing like flat screens barbie dream houses all the things and um, so come, of course the shopliftings. Um, and I would start driving though. And I would be like crying, like, and I say this, like, I think every live, like crying, like, I don't want to do this. This isn't like who I am. It's embarrassing. My dad's a cop, you know, my sister's an active addiction. She's getting like even more serious things, like just making him look bad. And like all this guilt started like, like just pouring into me when I had none, like I, I didn't give a, a crap. Um, which partly is the drugs, because when I first started using it was for pain. Um, then I started losing people um, like they were dying. And I found out I could numb physically and emotionally and mentally numb. Um, and that's when my addiction just like skyrocketed. But um, it was so crazy because I never thought I could see a day sober. So I'm like crying in the car, never going to do, you know, never be sober. Then now looking back, which is kind of a question I guess I have for you, Travis, is looking back now, um, for me, I'm four years and like four months, give or take some, um, into recovery. And I like the life I live now, which sounds cliche, but the life I live now is like something that I could have like, I it's something I couldn't have even dreamed up. Like there's nothing like super like fancy special about it. I mean other than the fact that I came from getting high, snorting 300 milligrams of oxycodone multiple times a day, looking at like a lot of time to working in a, a RCO or recovery organization, doing harm reduction, HIV testing, Narcan training, fentanyl testing strips, like going to like tent city, like trying to get like, you know, people that are homeless water and popsicles and like resources. Like that's like crazy to me. So, but I didn't start, so I wasn't in law enforcement, you know? So my, my question that I'm getting to is you starting as, um, law enforcement and then thank you, Jason. Um, and then going from like law enforcement to like your injury to using and addiction, stealing, getting booked on the, like, in the same place that you like were putting people into jail, you were getting put in jail yourself all of that coming together, 
looking back now, did you ever have that? Like, did you ever sit there and like have that, that thought? Like, am, am I ever going to, am I ever going to be sober? And now looking back, what, what's next, I guess. Like I look, I guess to my point is I'm looking back going, wow, I didn't start. I wasn't a law enforcement officer, but you were. So then, you know, addiction happened. So you weren't. So now is it like, are you like kind of blessed for addiction, like happening because it's taught you and like put you into this and like you're helping people in such a different way, but just as important ways, you know, you're still, you know, that, that hero, you know, kind of thing, because your book is clearly reaching a ton of people, which is amazing. And I just give you props for it. Um, but I guess, where are you now with that? Like what's next? Is law enforcement even an option like at this point? Oh no. So I, I mean, that career field is completely blown up to me. Like, um, I ended up getting two felonies, um, total, from my time in active addiction and basically that was enough to make sure i'd never be in law enforcement again um, plus you lost all respect for the field right pretty much i mean yeah. you talk about in the book yeah um to be completely honest with you yeah i did um i really from some of the things i saw and the way i was treated and it it really it made me kind of look at law enforcement differently. Like I still look at the people that go and do that job with great admiration because I know it's a shit job in most cases. It's not everything it's cracked up to be. It's not what they tell you in school. It's, it's not nearly glamorous in any way, shape or form. And a lot of the times you're dealing with people on their very worst day. Like the absolute worst is when you get to encounter someone and that's really hard. I mean, I don't want to pretend for anyone that's easy, but like I said, just having gone through the system, um, having like been booked in the same jail, going through the jail, um, I spent some time in solitary confinement as well. And it just, it made me look at it like, okay, we're treating people less than human. And we need to do better, like especially people that have an addiction that ended up in jail for that addiction and and the spinoffs of that. Like we've, we've got to do a better job. And it just it made me upset. It made me upset to the point where I had to sit down and write a book about it um, just because I couldn't get it all off my chest. Um, anyway, to go back to the question, though. I mean, basically what I've done is I've, I've learned to really love and care about people again, um, where I think some of that was lost when I worked for law enforcement. Now that I'm in addiction and recovery, that it's or recovery from addiction. I'm sorry. It's, I'm able to see so much more. Like I, I can actually relate with people and be like, holy shit, like, I understand, like, I see them as a person, I don't see them as a law enforcement infraction, or what did they violate? Like, I'm like, look, I look at people like this is an individual that needs help. And let's get them the resources and get them hooked up so we can get them there. So um, to help better help me do that, I got certified as a CCAR recovery coach um, 
a few months ago and now I'm going to go for peer specialist next. Um, I just want to have more tools um, just so when I am working with people, I can give them the best and really try to get them to where they need to be. So, well, I think so sorry. The, the number one thing right now is you care about people. And that yeah. is the number one skill that you need to be able to reach people that are hurting. And so I, I'm not worried about you. I think you'll do amazing. Um, my thing that I want to ask, and you kind of touched on it a little bit, is those are your friends. Those are people you served with that knew you. And they, you know, to, how did it feel to have people that you thought had your back that when you were sick, they didn't have your back? Um, it, it gutted me to be honest with you. Um, I mean, I still, like when you said that, I can picture the faces of the people that I thought would have treated me differently, or at least like, I mean, the, the hardest part for me was once I was arrested and basically perp walked through our department before they took me to jail, like no one ever reached out that I worked with. Like I didn't have a single person say, hey, how are you doing? Or, hey, what the hell happened? I had nothing. It was just crickets. And that was, to me, that was potentially one of the hardest things because it was, like you said, these are people that I serve with. These are the people that, in theory, I would put my life on the line for. And when things went to shit, they disappeared. And that was really tough. I think a big part of that is having the whole idea of I betrayed the badge when I stole, when I worked with the dealer, I went beyond my oath and obviously, and I don't think a lot of people could get over that, especially those in law enforcement. So it made it very difficult. Um, it was also hard even while I was in active addiction because it was like, I didn't have a coworker that I trusted fully enough to say, look, I'm struggling, like not even what I was struggling with, just to even say I'm struggling or I need help. I, there wasn't that person in my life that I could go to. Um, so I pretty much just put it on my shoulders and tried to do it all myself. And we see where my best, my, my best thinking got me. And that was jail. Right. But I mean, you fucking obviously pegged them right. Right the yeah. your coworkers and shit because if if uh you could have trusted them like if they get if they were coming from a place of humanity as opposed to like that professional level like what did you uh, you worded it so cool like looking for an infraction or something like that you know like dude you you're like keeping it secret but as soon as it came out you were shunned you were like completely cast aside you were just forgotten and and they didn't give a shit you know throw the book at them get them out of here i mean i i'm not saying you should have got off scot-free or nothing you know what i mean like of course you got to pay your dues and uh walk into your consequences and through those but at the same time like somebody could have been willing to step alongside you and um, show some genuine care and compassion. You would think being somebody that gets into that line of work, you would do it because you want to help people, not because you want to be on a power trip and 
you know, bust people's ass. I don't know. Like JR just said, um, was kind of one of the questions. Um, well, I kind of have like two different ones, but so like JR just put, um, they really need, and I don't know if everywhere doesn't does, I don't know, but, um, it doesn't seem like very many places for law enforcement nurses, any kind of like are like real life heroes that are saving our life, putting their life on the line for us military. Um, there's nothing like these are things that happen to anybody. And so for them to not have something in place for you, Travis, like, yeah, you shouldn't have got off scot-free fine. However, the fact that there was no, the fact that you knew because of your like job and what it was, and I get like betraying the badge and all that, but let's not forget that this is supposed to be back to blue brothers, you know, it's a brotherhood, it's a blue line family and all this, and how quick it seems that that blue line family and that brotherhood seem to just go whoop, real quick as soon as, you know, you have, you know, and I get it's a charge, but you clearly needed help. So I would really love to see more for, especially for police officers though, because of the, of the law aspect judges even, but I'm saying police officers um, because it's like very close to me. Um, well, what about you know, asking just, I don't mean to interrupt you, but what about like Travis, if you could have been the person that you needed or you could have been the thing or the program you needed, what, what would you have had in place or what would you have done to be what you needed? Well, I think the biggest thing is like knowing your resources and like just what's in your community. I mean, as officers, we're so tied into the community itself that we know, we know what treatment facilities are available. We know what the options are. And I would have loved to have someone say, okay, here you go. Here's, here's something. Like the only thing that was ever offered to me was FMLA, so Family Medical Leave Act, but that was after everything already occurred and I was gonna be terminated. So I couldn't participate in that anyway. But that was the only thing that anyone ever said to me was, okay, this is an option for you. And it turned out not to be. Um, nothing in regards to treatment, nothing in regards to like how to even like cope with what I was going through. Um, it was just basically, we're going to send you to jail and good luck, figure it out. Dude, I'm so grateful when I hear these kinds of stories for, for God's grand plan and design, because it all worked out for the better. You are doing amazing now. You're doing good for people and, and you look at what it's done to your heart, man. Like your heart, you're so into this recovery thing and wanting to be of service to others. And you weren't like that really then, you know, but it does suck, man, that, you know, we got to walk this hard road through to get to that point, you know, and if we're, lucky enough to be blessed like you have been, you know, or I have been or any of us. So. Yeah, I think, I mean, I've found such a community in recovery that that's all I want. And that's what I want to give other people. Like where I didn't have that community in law enforcement. Now I do have that. And it's like, look, 
anyone that wants it, I want to be able to share that with them and help them find it. It's to me, that's my new calling. That's what I'm here to do. That's what my book's here to do is to really just kind of make and put recovery at the forefront, but also say, look, because when you when you enter into recovery, you give up so much. Like you give up old friendships, you give up obviously your addiction, you give up so many pieces of your past that I want to look at people and say, look, even though you're giving these things up, you're really substituting. You're getting true friends. You're getting people that understand you. I mean, where else do you get to have a real conversation where you get to sit down and, and talk about this kind of shit? It just doesn't happen. So I think that's magical. And that's what I want other people to experience. And I have a, um, so where, where I work, um, so we, thank goodness, um, are very blessed with the town that I live in um, to where our local police department, um, the same officers that arrested me, and I mean like the exact same ones I work closely with now. Um, so we do like um, every month we do like a big community Narcan um, distribution kind of thing, like training um, at the police station, like town hall. And they are like super, super awesome with understanding, um, you know, like the Good Samaritan Act, like all the things. Uh, but we're kind of stuck. Um, in like the actual town I live now and really hoping to kind of like branch out into other like counties and cities because, um, you know, there's, I'm hoping that a lot of the law enforcement that, um, you know, where there's bad and everything, everybody knows that bad doctors, bad police officers, bad, um, attorneys, you know, bad, whatever, everything, male people. Um, but, I'm hoping that most of the ignorance um, that is said in in society, especially coming from law enforcement, is that it's uneducated. Um, but I found speaking to a lot of law enforcement officers around here outside of my town that it seems like a lot of them are super uneducated about so many things like they don't understand a lot of them don't even haven't even got to the point where it's like, I, I don't know, like that it's not a disease, you know, it's a choice, all, all the things. But so my question is, do you now work with any and, and I know that there was like damage done. So I completely understand. And I'm sorry to keep like going back to law enforcement because you were like, obviously, so, so, so much more than that. Um, so far more than that. Uh, but I think a lot of people are just interested and, you know, intrigued about the law enforcement aspect. It's kind of that like grab and snatch to get attention. Um, so do you work with any like police stations? Do you know, like what do they carry Narcan? Do you know, like what their um, like harm reduction is? Are any of them more educated now because of what you've been through? Um, is there any way that you see being um, in law enforcement in your past that and now going through addiction and now going into recovery that we could as like citizens get them get law enforcement to understand connect with us better well um that's a lot to unpack to be real with you um so basically on my end i have not really tried to rekindle those relationships um i still live in madison so same community um i've really just kind of 
turned the opposite cheek and gone as deep into recovery as I can. That being said, I know that our, at least our campus police, um, UWPD, does a great job with working with the college students and being prepared, having Narcan, having things like that, going through training. I'm not so sure about City PD. I don't want to speak on that because I don't know either way. So um, it's just been, it's been hard for me because as much as I do now and want to reach back out, part of me still feels like, okay, I'm looked at as a piece of shit in that community and that people just haven't necessarily gotten over it. Um, I recently, like two months ago, returned to the Capitol. So the same building that I worked in when I was doing dignitary protection and spoke there on a panel um, for recovery. And I had one of the officers that I used to work with uh, come up and talk to me afterward, which was cool. And I figured one is a victory, it's a starting point. So um, that's basically the interaction that I've had. Yeah, dude, just do me a favor and keep an open mind as you move forward, bro, because I'll tell you right now, uh, I've been shocked at the doors of opportunity that have opened before me because I kept walking this path of recovery, man. And God has worked out some really crazy scenarios that I would have never dreamed up in a million years. So you... You never know. You never know what could happen. You just don't know. <laughs> and you don't know who's listening. I mean, there could be somebody right now that's struggling that's in law enforcement that needs to hear what you have to say, or there could be a sibling or, you know, and you might never know that your story touched them, but by sharing, you open the door for somebody else to be able to ask for help possibly. And the fact that, you know, you, again, with the police, you know, law enforcement, people don't realize that it, it goes that deep, you know? So a lot of people feel like they're just, they're so down on themselves and they're thinking just so negatively of themselves and they're just trash. They're just this to, it's very humbling to know that. Um, and it's unfortunate, of course, I wish, you know, I wish that I'm not going to say I wish that you wouldn't have gone through addiction only because you're making a huge impact and bringing so much awareness and you're very inspiring. Um, however, I will say that I really wish that you were not treated the way you were um, because that's um, that's more of a betrayal than anything you could have done to them personally is my personal opinion. Um, but I think that you coming on and you writing and you being so open about your law enforcement, you know, past it really shows people that this is not a choice always like this. It is a disease. This affects people. And by thank you, Brett, and by shaming people to stay silent and by not having places to go and by not knowing resources and by not just being a person to understand that people go through different things. And sometimes you might not understand them. But the last thing you should do is judge them because you never know when that's going to what's going to hit close to home. Those officers that treated you badly, unfortunately, half of them and, and so on and so forth, judges, yada, yada. They might not understand until it hits close to home. 
and it might already be close to home and they just don't even know it yet. So unfortunately, until that hits, they might not understand, but I a hundred percent think it's on your time. Um, you know, I think you're, uh, amazing person. I think you're strong. I mean, you're resilient. Your courage to come on and tell your story, especially bringing the law enforcement aspect into it is, I mean, insanely like, I hate to say heroic, but I mean, it is because that's a big piece of your life and your story that you're putting on the line. Um, but I think that it's doing far more good than it could ever do harm. Um, cause I know a lot of people who, and officers, like um, Ashley said, families of officers, people like I mentioned that just think that they're pieces of crap because they're an addict, not realizing that, you know, there are attorneys, there's doctors that go to the MAC clinic, you know, um, in, in all sorts of like all recovery aspects. So, I mean, I just, you know, round of applause for you for coming on and just being so open and out there, you know, with everything that you're doing, because I truly feel like you are changing, you're changing the, the, I hate to say game, but you're changing the recovery, you know, the outlook on recovery, just by saying what your past um, position was with law enforcement. Yeah, it changes the narrative. Absolutely. Well, I want to hear about somebody that had your back all the time. So can you tell us a little bit more about karma? Cause that's a soft spot for. Sure. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, karma, like I said, she became my ride or die and essentially like eventually she ended up joining us in recovery rooms. Um, I would host sober events at my house. And the coolest thing about her was she could always kind of, she could tell who was struggling the most. And she was just that kind of dog and would go up to that person and like want love, want them to pet her, want attention. And it was like the ultimate icebreaker so many times because when people couldn't necessarily reach uh, this person or that person, she had a whole different effect on them and had a different effect on me. And it was just amazing to see her come from a dog that was chained to a tree that was emaciated, just sick, full of mites, full of anger too. I mean, she snapped at me, I don't know how many times early on, but never, never bit me. And it was always, you could just tell like, this dog had so much to give and there was so much good in her. And I just wanted to, to bring her to, to the surface and really kind of have her true self shine through kind of like, well, we're struggling in active addiction. Our true selves get so buried that it takes recovery for them to show through again. It was the same with her. It just took that recovery, that love, that consistency to all of a sudden I had this great companion. Sounds like there were some parallels between her and you. There was all that good stuff there, and now it's coming out in recovery. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it, like, just that experience and having her in my life made, made me a better person. And it really made me think outside myself, which I think is another thing, too, in recovery. We get so caught up in the me that we start forgetting about the we 
And I think mm -hmm. once we start looking at we and how we interact with other people, how we communicate, how we conduct ourselves, then all of a sudden it's like, holy shit, there's, there's this light bulb that goes off and things get easier and all of a sudden conversations get easier and things become more real. And it's just, it's this snowball effect, but it's such a great thing. And that's what I love about recovery. Yeah. I wonder if, if would, do you think, so what are your thoughts on maybe because karma has been such a like huge aspect to your recovery. Um, and I have a, well, don't laugh, but I have a Rottweiler who's like 150 pounds and my kids named her princess. I don't even know, but anyway, um, so my late husband died three months into my recovery, which most people know. Um, and so being so new in recovery, she was like a huge piece of like healing for me. For one, my late husband loved that dog. I mean, DSS was involved. So I was living at my parents. So my, my late husband and the dog were like super tight, um, like best friends for real. But um I wonder if because it did so much positive and it seems to have helped, you know, karma helped you heal. I wonder if that is like an idea for some kind of a program that, you know, maybe we could just throw out into the universe that it would help other people, you know, heal as well. Having, having like just that companion. And like you said, you know, you just like, you just told your sweet pup everything and just like poured out all of your um all of your feelings all of your regrets your guilt everything knowing like ashley said that that sweet little animal is just going to look at you with the most loving forgiving non-judgmental eyes and it also you take them on a walk you know it gives you responsibilities into recovery but also gives you that like open safe place to talk to because even if they wanted to snitch, they couldn't, you know, <laughs> saying. Uh, right. Well, you think about, you know, the fact that an animal can't speak and, and like we as humans can learn a lot from that because, you know, God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. Sometimes we just need to shut the fuck up and sit and hold that safe space for somebody. Listen, be with them. You know, that's sometimes the greatest form of comfort and uh, pets are extremely therapeutic because of that, you know, because they don't judge. There's no judgment and they're there and they're loving on you because like, as you said, Travis, they can tell when you're struggling or when you're hurting. Right. So then they get a little extra lovey They're They're worried about you, you know. Yeah, that's exactly it. And it's really too, in the time where I felt abandoned, where I felt alone, like to have any kind of connection, whether it be human or with an animal, I needed something else. If I didn't have that, there's no way I'd be talking to you guys today. There's, I, I wouldn't still be here. There's not a, a doubt in my mind that I would not have survived. Um, it just, it's... It's one of those things where I couldn't be more grateful for God and what he put in my life. And I, 
I needed every ounce of that love at times just to get through it because I wasn't loving myself. I, I was hating myself. I was so upset with what I had become that karma's love served as a great reminder that, look, I was still human. I still deserved love. I still deserve to be cared for. And that's something that I like to remind people of, especially early on in recovery. It's look, you're, you're deserving. You've just got to be kind to yourself and be patient. And I know that's so hard to hear, but it's, it's those two things that will really help get you by at the hardest times. Um, if you just let it. Well, and how cool, because you know, ding, um, (laughs) I love the ding. Brett always pulls through. Um, but I think it's so cool, you know, like we mentioned, like, you know, God just has a way in how, how it all happened, you know, your profession and the injury leading to the prescriptions, leading to a problem, leading to your dealer, leading to finding karma, leading to, you know, the dealer actually knowing like y'all even having, I mean, maybe you'd known the dealer, I don't know, but it's not my business, <laughs> but just, you know, you having a conversation with the dealer about dogs and him knowing just that you love animals, that you love dogs enough to call you and say, Hey, there's this dog. And then you come back and then like you leave, they don't answer. And then you get, you know, the bolt cutters, whatever, and you get the dog and all of it happening just like seems to as painful as I know, cause I've been through, you know, I've been through it. We all have, I'm sure, but just seeing how it all like flowed through um, and not flowed as in smoothly or easy, just flowed as in flowed, um, you know, happening. It was like, you're, if you wouldn't have gone through what you did, if you wouldn't have had an addiction, if you wouldn't have had an addiction to known your dealer, who knows what would have happened to karma? I mean, I don't want to say what might have because that's just negative and we're not going there with such a, a beautiful pup. But um, it's amazing to me that like God works in like those type of ways. Like it's not just huge, like monumental things, little tiny steps lead up to these big things. And if all of those things did not happen, Travis leading you up to that moment, you, I mean, who knows where, like you said, you, you probably wouldn't be here talking to us. So all of those steps happening led you to karma. So not only did karma save you, but you saved karma and how like beautiful of like a statement to add to recovery is that like, it sounds like you did for her, you know, like you did for that sweet dog that what that, that animal did for you in a different way. But that's just like, to me, that's just God. Like that is in so many ways, God, you know, I I just find it so, so neat that you both saved each other, you know? I agree. And, you know, I'm a recovery advocate, but I'm also a mental health advocate. So here's my question for you. Travis is, you know, obviously you dealt with trauma, you know, I've read the books. I know you had a traumatic brain injury as well. So how did your mental health fit in with your recovery and how did you handle that? And what does that look like today? Oh, well, okay. So mental health, uh, that played a huge role in not only recovery, but also addiction. Like I am diagnosed bipolar, which 
I didn't get diagnosed until years after I got sober. Like it took a long time to finally kind of get the mental health piece figured out. Um, and I think that's true for a lot of people also struggling with addiction that there's a mental health aspect to it too. But until you get the messy addiction out of the way, you can't really see it because you're not seeing the true person. So for me, it took being sober and just years of learning to be transparent and learning to be honest with myself and others that all of a sudden it's like we could address the bipolar issue and really kind of get that taken care of. Um, fortunately, yeah, I've, I've been able to manage with that for over two and a half years um, with medication and with counseling. And those are two things that I would recommend in terms of if anyone's struggling to, to have a real conversation with your doctor or with your counselor, if you have one or psychiatrist and just lay it out there because the sooner you do, the sooner you're going to get the help you need. Um, being, trying to man up, trying to say, okay, I'm bigger than this, or I can handle this on my own. is not going to get you to where you need to be. At least in my case, it never did. So um, yeah, it was just, it was really kind of learning to be comfortable with myself and then comfortable enough to say, these are the areas where I struggle in life and this is what I need help with. So would you say that with, um, would you say that most of, most people struggling with addiction, would you agree that they most likely also have a mental illness? Like with that, that like, like a dual diagnosis, like both things, obviously you can't fix one and not fix the other to be successful. Is that something like you kind of stand behind or how do you feel about that? Yeah, that's definitely something I stand behind. I mean, I think a lot of addiction to like when you look at anxiety as a piece and why people use like why people drink. I mean, one of my very close friends just told me the other day, he's like, dude, I've always drank because I like the person I become when I drink. I become more sociable. I don't care what other people think and I lose my anxiety. And we had to have a very long conversation about, well, you can lose it in other ways. You don't have to drink to have that occur. And it just, it was like a light bulb went on for him. And then he's like, well, tell me more about that. And basically I just told him what works for me and my anxiety. But overall it was really kind of like, okay, if I've had this occur, if one of my good friends and other people I know, people in recovery have these dual diagnoses. And it seems like one of the problems gets taken care of, but not necessarily the other. So like, we've got to get people on track to saying, okay, let's, let's work this all out. Let's get everything out on the table. Let's show all our cards and say, okay, how can we best treat this person? And it's going to be different for everyone. Um, but I think once you get addiction kind of out of the way and taken care of, it makes it easier for people in the mental health profession to do their job and to step up because there's no longer a chemical that's playing its role. Yeah. And I agree. Uh, I think we should stop for a second, though, just and take. So substance use disorder is a mental health diagnosis in the DSM-5. So every single person with a substance use disorder 
has a mental health diagnosis. Just to be Boom. clear. Wow. That's like, pretty awesome. That was one of like the biggest things I feel like um, for sure. I mean, I want to say almost in like all four years, like of my recovery, honestly, but um, I maybe won't jump that far, but it, I feel like that was one of the, like, when that came out, like the DSM five, like recognizing substance abuse disorder, like it just like, it was like a huge sigh of relief of like, someone is listening. Someone is listening because I, it was like we were fought on that so badly. Like I, I have had so many, like, I'm not going to say arguments because hard conversations lead to people being educated. However, it's, it's very difficult when like, you know, something in like your heart, soul and like what your like lived experience. And then someone's arguing with you about your own lived experience. Um, but when that came out, it was just like, I just wanted to share it everywhere because it, it just felt like we, we just jumped like so many steps ahead just to have that recognized. You know, I just, I was so thrilled and excited that it doesn't seem like that big of a step, but it really is just having that recognized as a mental health, you know, just to have it even mentioned with mental health. I feel like for so long, they tried to like separate it. And it's not, it's not separated. Um, like, you know, Travis mentioned the anxiety and like social anxiety and not wanting, like not feeling like you're that happy go, you know, social person without drinking or using. Um, and some of that's like, once you drink and people say, oh, you're so, you're so fun when you drink, you know, like that gets into your head and, you know, and I, I remember feeling that way when I was using opiates, it was like, I felt like I was far more, far more like, I don't know. I want to say like successful, but like, I, I was just like in it to win it. Like I was, I was more focused. I was, you know, more energetic. I wanted to do more when I was using, but if, you know, it really wasn't that different than when I, before I ever started using other than the fact that I was physically, emotionally, and mentally numb. Um, but the DSM five, you know, that coming out, I just really respect everybody who had a part in that. What? And we all didn't just like start using substances because we just felt like it, it was a coping mechanism for something like whether we already had anxiety or, mm -hmm. you know, un undiagnosed bipolar or for me, major depressive disorder, or, you know, like, there's a million different reasons that we use a substance to cope. It's mm -hmm. just an unhealthy coping mechanism. Yeah. Well, you know, usually it turns out that like when you first try a drug or a substance, that that is like the solution to your mental health disorder. But then the drugs don't work forever. You know, and nobody ever tells you that when they turn you on to the shit, do they? You know, this stuff ain't going to continue to work the way, that, <laughs> you know, but, you know, eventually it ends up exacerbating it. You know, it makes it worse. It, it exacerbates your issues. It blows them, blows them up. So. And what follows it, you know, Jason, like what follows it? I mean, it might help not, you know, it might help in the beginning, you know, I mean, because I mean, let's be serious. It, it helps in the beginning, but once it builds, I mean, right. it starts taking, you know, those friends and that social, 
you know, you start worrying about so much other things, stealing money, ripping people off. So those people that thought you were so fun when you were high or drunk or whatever, intoxicated on whatever, you know, substance, now you're robbing them, you know, now you're, you're stealing from them. You're stealing from their grandma or whoever, right. you know, you're committing crimes that you would have never done. So you wanted to do these substances to be a funner person, a more productive person, whatever. But all that that did was in the beginning that worked, you became that person, but now you become the worst version of yourself that right. you don't even recognize that you're purely disgusted with looking at. Or that's how I felt. Um, right. Yeah. Well, I think the dogs might have drowned me out because I said that it eventually it will exacerbate your mental health issues instead Sorry. of instead of helping them. But I, I think it was hard to hear me over the dogs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. It's just fucking I turn into a complete piece of shit. Yeah. Yep. And and I thought so. I don't know what other people thought, but that was what I thought. And it just made it worse. If anything, that makes it worse. Then you're in a shame spiral. You hate what you're doing, but you can't stop doing it. You know, yeah. and it's just on and on it goes. Absolutely. Uh, That's like I was saying, I was driving. I was driving to go to steal and I was crying because I did not want to do it. And I like cannot, I just can't even, like I said, four years into this, into recovery, I, I cannot get over that. That the look, when I would look at myself, it was like I would look at myself and hate myself. So I would use more because I was so disgusted by myself that I had to like put a mask over how much I hated myself. And it, it only made my using worse because I was so disgusted by like the sight of myself that, I mean, I remember thinking like seriously and like that's not my thinking now and it's not appropriate thinking i needed help but i remember being so torn and so disgusted with myself and crying i didn't want to go do it i wanted out of this like this hellhole of a life of addiction that i contemplated running into like trees on the interstate like that'll solve it if I run in, but then I'm like, fuck my, my luck. I'll run into the tree and then I'll be hooked on them for another 30 freaking years, you know? But I mean, I remember though wanting to run. I remember looking at a specific tree and being like, I could just hit that right now going 80 miles an hour. And it would just like, I couldn't, I couldn't make anybody sad. I couldn't disappoint anybody. I couldn't embarrass my dad with these charges, you know? fighting with my late husband because I'm not sharing my freaking dope, you know, like, are you serious? Like so disgusted. Yep. It's just this incomprehensible demoralization is what the big book calls it. You know, like you keep getting, you don't think you can go lower Oh, you can go lower and you're going to yeah. find the next level down and the next level down until you literally have lost all sense of self-sufficiency. Right. Yeah. And uh, that's where it takes us, man. Yeah. Any more questions for Travis? I want to know, sir, uh, if there's any grand plans or schemes that you're working on or mulling over that we don't know about yet. Sure. So I guess the uh, the next big thing is I'm going to be writing another book and 
The book is going to be about an original member of the Latin Kings. Um, I have an exclusive with this individual and he's agreed to share his story. So I think just as much as we need to talk about things like addiction, um, gangs to me are another huge thing. And I just want to share his story, get it out there and really like give people a taste of what gang life is all about. Um, and do it in the same kind of way that I did my, my life with karma in just a very transparent, honest way that people can relate to. That's awesome, man. And you know, a lot of people do that, right? Like have somebody help them write it. Like they tell it and like, maybe I tell it and you write it, but you both get credits on the, on the cover type thing that that's going to be awesome. That sounds great. What I don't have a release date yet um, because of my TBI. It takes me, it took me two years to write my life with karma. So I'm thinking it will probably take me about the same amount of time um, to write this book. I just want to say that like, I have you saying that like, I like, I already had the utmost respect for you, but that just like tripled because the fact that, you, you know, with the TBI and writing and in the amount of time that it takes, like that just like shows your, your passion for what you're doing and to get people's stories out. And to me, that just made my respect, like, like I said, triple, because yeah. that's not just like, and I'm not saying normal as in like that you're not, I just mean like a person who doesn't have like TBI or any kind of like um, traumatic brain injury of any sort of, or any reason, um, or, or illness, you know, of any sort, um, a lot of people would let that hinder them from telling their story, which has inspired, you know, on your, on your, you know, situation. It's an, I know it's inspired so many people and telling his story is going to inspire so many people and maybe even show people the way out possibly, or that at least there is a way out and it's possible. So I just want to give like so much more, you know, your resilience is just absolutely over i don't even like not inspiring is not a, a big enough word so that's that's really really cool i just want to give you props for that and like so much respect hell yeah dude and let me just throw this out here the the word perseverance is defined as doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success you my friend you persevered awesome well, thank you jason and thank you amanda too i appreciate that so much um for me what it's really come down to is just looking at not my tbi as a disability but just as a means of i just have to figure out how to do things differently that work for me um and that's really it like i just look at the hurdles and i say okay how do maybe i can't jump a hurdle but I can go around a hurdle or I can flip a hurdle over or whatever it may be. And I just figure it out. So as, as much as I feel like, yes, it's perseverance. It's also just to me, it's, it's wanting something bad enough to say, all right, I'm going to go after this. Even if it's more difficult, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make a difference. It's just, so it might take a little longer, big deal. Ultimately, the story needs to be told, and I want to be the guy to tell it. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> I want to tell it.
you do it in an amazing way. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, actually. It's worth the wait. Absolutely. And it's an amazing thing to like do for us almost. And I know that sounds weird, but like that's, that's like a huge eye opening type, like, you know, book to read. It's going to really open the eyes of a lot of people. It's going to bring awareness to like similar, but also like very, very, very different situations. And it's, it's, I feel like it's almost doing like, society a favor by bringing that to light and I know that there are shows that like have like you know like you know people in that situation like speaking on their you know situations but like Ashley mentioned in the comments having like a ex-police officer telling like a you know somebody who's like a gang member their story um, and then to add that you're in recovery and then to add like all the things, you know, like your resilience to fight through any little or big thing. I mean, what a beautiful way to look at it and to still push, push through. Um, I, that's amazing. I cannot wait to read both books. Um, I'll be patiently waiting for the second one, hopefully signed too. Yeah, we can definitely get that signed for you as well. Not a okay. big deal there. So. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, we still have ours to give away tonight. Yes. Brett's got to do that drawing. He's got the magic computer. Yeah, we got it ready. We are giving away a copy of My Life with Karma. And let me find my drum roll real quick. I, I should have been a little more prepared. I apologize. Where is my drum roll? <laughs> da, 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 there it is. And the winner of the book is Heather Conley. Congratulations, Heather. Yay! You have yeah. My best friend. Of My Life with Karma. Woo. All right. Congratulations. Go ahead, best friend. Congratulations. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's really awesome. She has been through a ton. Um, I don't want to speak on like her story, but she did mention like things in the comments that um, definitely would be awesome for everybody to read through. She, I met her through another, like, I guess, page um, against the odds. And we have gotten like so super close. I mean, she literally is like my absolute best friend. She's the most beautiful human being other than Ashley. I think I've ever met and her resilience as well. I mean, she's <laughs> five different like recovery pages, liking, commenting, boosting people up, supporting people. And she's, you know, had some health stuff going on again that she mentioned and she just beast through it. And she truly deserves it. And I'm biased because she's my best friend, but she deserves it truly. So I love you. Well, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that it's going to someone like that. That's awesome. Um, someone that will appreciate the story and just really get into it. That's so cool. So thank you for sharing that, Amanda. And congratulations, Heather. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Um, I think I commented and I was like so excited to like hear your story because um, I follow you on Facebook and I have for a while. Um and it's really just really awesome to see like the the following that you have. Um, everybody is just like so for the most part, I, mean, I feel like I've never seen um, I've never seen anybody like negative 
whether that's like for a reason, I'm not sure, but um, sorry, y'all, my kid is blowing my phone up. Um, but I just, I really love like looking through and like watching what you post because it's always inspiring and it feels like positive. It always has like such a good message. So I'm, I really enjoyed like listening and like hearing your story and hearing your thoughts tonight. Awesome. Well, thank you. And thank you for following too on Facebook. Um, like I said, I just try to keep it transparent, try to keep it real for people and give people hope. I mean, that's the biggest thing. So if I can do that, help one person a day, um, I'm doing my job. Oh, yeah. And dude, don't forget, I was because I've read your book and remember, I tried reaching out to see if you would let me interview you on the Way Out podcast. And you were like, I already did it with Charles, which I fucking knew <laughs> because it was in I was CC'd in the emails you guys were sending, and that's how you ended up sending me the freaking PDF file. But I must have been having a brain fart that day. And then look at what God does, man. He gets these guys to call me up and ask me if I'll come on as a new host for this show. And boom, my first show is Travis Sackett. And I get to have this conversation, meet you, interview you a little bit. Like, that's just... That's the higher power all the way. Higher power. Yeah. God, nice. God is all in this tonight. It's super cool. <laughs> nice. <It is>. Nice. And <laughs> now I'm so glad you're here. Like, finally, I'm like, I've been waiting for this one. I've been talking about it a lot for a long time. Yeah, this has been I'm one that I've had marked on my calendar for a long time. So um, just... I love what you do, um, love what the group does in general and how you guys just all have each other's backs. It's awesome to see. I mean, there's such cohesion and I think Jason is going to be a great addition. So way to pick that guy up. Well done. Thanks guys. <laughs> I'm honored. I'm super honored. He's just official now. You guys said that was the only... I was the only one that they could agree on. And I was like, I am honored. Thank you. <laughs> well, it, it had to be a guy. Like we have, we have a lot of co-hosts that are like girls, like as our additions. So we needed a guy because Carl, you know, that was kind of, he's got a new job and he's very busy and he hasn't been around and we needed a, another guy around another well, guy. I'm then I'm grateful I'm a guy. <laughs> well, JR, he doesn't, you know, he likes to stay in the background sometimes or he comes on sometimes. And so it's like he he didn't want us to rely on him. That's cool. Still love you, Carl. We all love Carl. Oh, yeah. We never stopped loving Carl. I never even got to meet Carl. He's a figment of our imaginations, it feels like, lately. And it does. <laughs> I've been co-hosting. I mean, this is what, like, the fifth or sixth one that I've co-hosted, if I think about that. And I've never got to meet him. So he's going to have to at least jump on and, like, say hello. <laughs> yeah, <Good> he's... <laughs> or <laughs> later, like, at least. <laughs> I'll add him on Facebook. <laughs> That'll be as close as I get. Yeah. That's okay. He used to call me a lot, but he doesn't anymore. So I still talk to him at least once a week. 
JR probably talks to him three times a week. JR talks to everybody. <laughs> he, I don't know he, how he has so much time to talk. I know he's he's religious with it, like in a positive way. But I'm telling you, like he, if I like, I was yeah, like, I started like messaging him about like smart recovery and like all these things, and like he always gets back to me. The vet court stuff. I mean, like he really does. Like he has his hand in so many projects. I don't even know like how he like keeps up with all of them. You know, it's amazing, but. Those teenagers want to talk to you. Are you sure everything? Yeah, you, you gotta put that shit. You gotta you know, put it on silent. I have it. That's what's so crazy is it literally is on. It's on mute. Like, see, it's on mute. But it's yeah. calling from your messenger, probably. So the one that you're on. On. Your oh computer. yeah, because I'm on Facebook through my computer. That's why it's ringing through the computer. My gosh. Go. Okay. <laughs> Good Brett. Got her. Listen, y'all. <laughs> so before we call in a night, Travis, is there anything else that you want to share with us or any um to be real? I mean, I think I got most of it up, but I mean honestly, for anyone early in recovery, especially, I mean, for me, I think connection is key. So do the best you can to reach out and make those connections. I mean, it's such a we community, and once you once you're willing to open up, people are gonna help you. They're gonna want to help you and want to see you succeed. So it's really just a matter of opening yourself up, being transparent, being honest, and letting other people and God do His work. And what did you say earlier, man? You said, uh, "Get out of the me and get into the we." It's it's magic. Yes. Exactly. Exactly, I love, Jason. I love it, bro. If you haven't read it, you need to get your episode, your book, My Life with Karma. It's on Amazon. I think I posted. Did. I posted the link in the comments a few different times to Amazon for his book. Yep. So if you haven't, if you haven't read it and you need a book, I'm giving you a recommendation. Get the book. Uh, thank you. Thank you all again. I appreciate that. Thank you for putting it in the comments too. That's very cool. I just shared it again. <laughs> it's fire. It's fire. See? Thank you for coming tonight. It's been amazing. This is like, I'll be honest, I'm an introvert. So like when, when it's show day, like there's a lot of times I'm like, oh, gotta wait till eight o'clock because I'm in Eastern time. And then I'm like, I'm exhausted because Thursdays. I had a meeting at 1.30, I had a meeting at 5, I had a meeting at 5.30, and then this is at 8, so I'm like, all right, one more meeting. And it's like, but this one, like, I've been excited about it, like, since, like, for, like, days. So I was, like, excited to come on tonight, and then excited, you know, Jason and Amanda, and I'm always excited to see Brett, so, you know. But doesn't but, that recovery talk just get you pumped, Ashley, or what? Well, I'm always like grateful that I came at the end, you know, but like oh, yeah. sometimes it's just like, oh, the live thing and have the camera and it's like, yeah. you know, the, my sponsor, off, I'm just like, oh, yeah, I've my never sponsor, this oh, sorry, sorry, Jason. <laughs> You're good. Well, I was going to, I was going to say my sponsor always says like, I went limping in and I came skipping out. Like when he's talking about, you know, like yeah, how like when you don't want to go to a meeting or you don't want to do something, you're just fucking have to force yourself. 
those are always the best ones, right? Like the ones that you just are like, oh, I'm so glad I came, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. And, and Ashley always talks, but today, like, she's like, she's been like the star and I love it because like I said in the thing, like she's so sweet and calm and like educated. And like when she speaks, like it just like everybody just like really like sits up and like listens. And I, I just, I love when like she starts like talking about things and has like ideas um, and questions. Cause it always leads to like really big ideas or like a really inspiring statement from the person she's asking. Like she just knows how to ask the questions, like the important questions in the right way and like word it perfectly. So like, I love when she's like that and I have never seen, like she's on fire tonight. So she means every single word she said about being excited with you being on. Sorry. That's so cool. No. And even, (laughs) even her DSM five drop, I was like, well done girl. Yeah. Because I was, I was thinking, I just couldn't pull it. I was like, oh my gosh, what is that book called? I mean, it's on my shelf, but whatever, (laughs) doesn't, doesn't matter. So very cool. Yeah, guys, I thoroughly enjoyed this and I'm going to be real with you. Like I am an introvert as well. And it is hard for me like to do these like I because I get all up in my anxiety beforehand. And like my immediate thought is I always want to bail like it, it will be clicking down clock time. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what can I make up? What can I come up with? And then I just force myself to do it. And it's always great. But I get myself so worked up. It's hard, man. So that's still something I'm dealing with. So I totally get it. Thanks for pulling through, man. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, guys. Yeah, it's been amazing. And Jason can tell you, like, he knew me. I mean, he met me at Mobilize like a year ago. Did I talk? Like, I was so quiet. You were very quiet. Yeah, you have definitely found your voice. As a matter of fact, me and JR were talking about that this afternoon when I was at work. it, it was cool. I, I was like, man, it's really awesome, you know, to see you blossom and step into this. And not even just this role, but with your NAMI stuff and, and how many doors that's opening for you right now. Like, I'm really stoked to see what the future has to, for you, Ashley Grimes. AG. <laughs> the whole name out there. Yeah, what recovery gives us. Like, these are all gifts of recovery. Amen. I doubt any of us, any of the five of us, thought before we got into recovery that we would ever be sitting here talking about recovery with people that we respect probably more than, you know, ever Mm -hmm. the other person even understands, you know? Yep, no. I would have thought you were on some crazy shit. And been I would like, have asked you where you got yours. <laughs> yeah, I would have been like, why aren't you sharing? Yeah. <laughs> all right, so what's everybody eating when we get off this show tonight? Because I know we're all eating something. Oh, I need no, I'm going food. to bed. I need junk food recommendations. My wife and daughter are out of town, and I'm on my own. So I need junk <gasps> food recommendations. You know what I want? I'm on a I'm on a sober journey diet because I gained like 80 pounds when I started getting sober and I've only lost 40. But anyway, so I'm on my I'm on way more. (laughs) See, you're a dude though. Dudes pull it off better. Women are like held to like a thing. Dad bods are the new like sexy or whatever. Preach. I'm all (laughs) for it. But 
I'm on like keto, so I can't do it. But the, you know what I've wanted is those damn birthday cake cupcakes. From? So I've seen them at like every grocery store. I never saw them before, but now that I can't eat them, I see them everywhere. But yeah, that's how it works. Yeah, I know. But so Hostess has the best ones, but the gas stations, like 7-Eleven type gas stations also have them. They come, they're like two of them in like a little like sleeve and it's a blue bottom <laughs> and the little white top with the little sprinklies. And they're really delicious. Like the bomb.com times like a trillion. Yeah. Well, there you go. I'm going yeah, to play yogurt parfait. And it's definitely not healthy, even though it sounds like it is. It's got Oreo cookies on the top, and then I order extra Oreo cookies. So <laughs> on my way home, and that's sitting in my refrigerator waiting for me. Nice. You tattled yourself right out. I'm not worried I about it. it. Accountability, not- mother effers. I'll I'll throw out Magnum bars, dude. If you like ice cream. Uh, get magnum bars bro i go with the caramel ones myself it's like double chocolate and caramel they're fire they're expensive they're expensive but they're worth it they're worth extra money double chocolate speaking my language dude it's like a layer of hard chocolate with the caramel in between that and another layer of hard chocolate Dude, it's super fire. That sounds fire. That sounds it's, excellent, man. Let's go all have a Magnum bar when we get off this. Dude, I wish okay. I had one here. I am not going to the store though. I gotta get up. <laughs> like, I gotta get up at four a.m. tomorrow. I'm like, I'm going straight to bed. <laughs> no, but Brett, you should go if you go anywhere. You should go to like the gas station and get like one of those um, Coke slushies, like the Slurpees, because they're like my favorite and. I mean, my favorite, like they're like, I would almost like use the A word for like, you know, addiction, but I'm not <laughs> going to say that word um, louder than that, but I love them. So if you go get one and just like, at least take a really big gulp of it and be like, there you go, Amanda. And I'll pretend that you did it on my end. You could feel free to deliver whatever junk food you would like to my house. Oh, in yeah, yeah, I'll just Oops. make that quick 12 hour drive. Dude, try that pistachio gelato, dude. Jeff. I concur, sir. <laughs> I concur. Oh my! All right, God. let's go eat. <laughs> All right. All right. Sounds it like was great seeing y'all tonight. Thank you for being here, Travis. Yeah. yeah, thank you again for having me, everybody. Really appreciate it. You guys put on an awesome show, so thank you so much. It was a great time. Yeah, great yeah. to meet you. Yeah, Brett, are you guys... going to close us out? I would love to close us out. I just got to find the right slide. He barely even yeah. spoke the whole time. He was like on mute. He always does it. I know. Always. always. You guys had it covered. (laughs) Yeah. You guys got it. (laughs) I'm ready to go. Time for chicken nuggets. That's that's my new closer. My little job. (laughs) I love it. I like it. That was so appropriate, too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for everybody that tuned in tonight for Recovery Revolution Live. Thank you, Travis, so much for coming on. We really, really do appreciate it, man. And congratulations again to Heather on winning that copy of the book. Uh, We will be back again next Thursday night live on Facebook and YouTube with another 
episode and another guest if you guys are watching us on youtube please be sure to subscribe to the channel turn on your notifications so you know when we go live every thursday and uh if you guys would like to send us an audio message that we can use on the show you can do so at the link on your screen speak dash two dot us slash rrl and you can leave i believe it's up to a three minute message and we can play that on the show if you guys have questions comments concerns praise adoration anything like that you can leave that there for us and we can use that for the show and uh yeah be sure to pick up your copy of my life with karma the links are in the comments so just scroll and find those amanda was gracious enough to put those in there for us so be sure to get your copy of travis's book and we will see you guys next week remember progress not perfection <laughs>